Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Monday, January 10th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, scientists are working on a plan to shoot tardigrades into interstellar space on lasers. Plus, the James Webb Space Telescope is so far going better than anyone had dared to imagine. And Alpaca's favorite New Year's snack, Christmas trees. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Some scientists are thinking of shooting tardigrades into the next solar system with huge lasers that would take up a tenth of the U.S.'s entire power grid while it launches. Let's start with the actually getting something all the way to Proxima Centauri bit before we move on to the tardigrades. So the first human-made object to ever leave our solar system and enter interstellar space was Voyager 1 back in 2012. But there is a huge distance between the end of our solar system and the start of the next one. Quoting from the University of Southern California, Santa Barbara's The Current, The biggest challenge to human-scale interstellar travel is the enormous distance between Earth and the nearest stars. The Voyager missions have proven that we can send objects across the 12 billion miles it takes to exit the bubble surrounding our solar system, the heliosphere, but the car-sized probes traveling at speeds of more than 35,000 miles per hour took 40 years to reach there, and their distance from Earth is only a tiny fraction of that to the next star. If they were headed to the closest star, it would take them over 80,000 years to reach it. End quote. But Joel Rothman, biology professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and experimental cosmologist Philip Lubin have a proposal in the latest edition of the journal Acta Astronautica. Instead of using a chemical propellant like rocket fuel, which wouldn't be able to achieve the incredible speeds required to get a spacecraft to interstellar space on any reasonable timeline, they propose using light as the propellant. Quoting again, Small probes with onboard instrumentation that sense, collect, and transmit data back to Earth will be propelled up to 20 to 30% of the speed of light by light itself using a laser array stationed on Earth or possibly the Moon. The main propulsion laser is turned on for a short period of time and then the next probe is ready to be launched. It would probably look like a semiconductor wafer with an edge to protect it from the radiation and dust bombardment as it goes through the interstellar medium, Lubin says. It would probably be the size of your hand to start with. As the program evolves, the spacecraft become larger with enhanced capability. The core technology can also be used in a modified mode to propel much larger spacecraft within our solar system at slower speeds, potentially enabling human missions to Mars in as little as one month, stopping included. At these relativistic speeds, roughly 100 million miles per hour, the wafer craft would reach the next solar system, Proxima Centauri, in roughly 20 years. End quote. Now, this won't happen without a ton more work and innovation in all of the relevant fields, but the UCSB Current notes that the basic project has received support from NASA and private foundations. And yes, the paper does note that the power required for the laser array would indeed take up a full tenth of the entire power grid in the U.S., but it would only last for a few minutes. But here's where it gets even more interesting. Human travel to other solar systems is not really in the cards. Part of the reason for using light instead of chemical propellants is to cut down on mass. And humans and all the stuff we need to survive just have too much mass. But we're not the only creatures out there. 
This wafer craft could support other living creatures, very, very small living creatures. The top nominees, C. elegans, a species of nematode, and tardigrades. Vice describes tardigrades, quote, These microscopic aquatic animals, sometimes called water bears, are nearly indestructible, capable of withstanding drought, freezing temperatures, accidents, high levels of radiation, harsh pressure and gravity conditions, and suspended animation, the slowing of biological functioning for long periods of time. This makes them the perfect candidate for experiments in ramping up the speed of space travel. End quote. And the UCSB current goes on to explain that thousands of tardigrades could be put on the wafer craft in suspended animation and then awakened at some point in the journey to be remotely monitored for any changes in their biology, physiology, aging, reproduction, neurological function, and more. Rothman says they could remotely test the tardigrades and see elegans on how well they remember trained behavior. The idea would be to kind of extrapolate any findings to start getting an idea of what the effects of interstellar travel would be on other terrestrial creatures, maybe even one day humans. I mean, not during any of our lifetimes, but I don't know, maybe one day. And of course, all of these findings can also further inform long-term human space travel within our solar system as well. Due to ethical and contamination concerns, like bringing back extraterrestrial microbes or who knows what, really, this would be a one-way journey for the little creatures. Reflecting on both the large scale of interstellar travel and the tiny nature of the tardigrades, Rothman told The Current, quote, I think it's our destiny to keep exploring. Look at the story of the human species. We explore at smaller and smaller levels down to subatomic levels, and we also explore at increasingly larger scales. Such drive towards ceaseless exploration lies at the core of who we are as a species. End quote. Well, speaking of space, let's check in on the James Webb Space Telescope. You may have heard that it successfully completed deployment, executing about 350 moves to unfold to its full size. I love this description from Marina Corin in The Atlantic, quote, The deployment sequence reminded me of the Great British Bake Off, a cosmic version of the Showstopper Challenge. Like the bakers, engineers had presented the world with a picture of what their beautiful space telescope would look like in the end, and now they had to make it happen. End quote. With a couple of quickly resolved snags and scientists working round the clock, sometimes from home due to positive COVID tests, the JWST team successfully pulled off their showstopper challenge, giving new meaning to Star Baker. And this is great news and a huge relief. Everyone involved with the JWST was so nervous in the lead-up to launch that their anxiety spawned a whole series of memes and hashtags. And with such a hugely expensive project, there was a lot on the line, which makes it even more satisfying that the telescope's performance thus far has not only gone off without a hitch, but has exceeded expectations. In addition to the successful deployment, the telescope is currently looking like it'll have enough fuel for twice as long as expected, 20 years instead of 10. Ars Technica explains, quote, Prior to launch, the telescope was fueled with 240 liters of hydrazine fuel and dinitrogen tetroxide oxidizer. Some of this fuel was needed for course adjustments along the journey to a stable point in space, about a million and a half kilometers from Earth, where Webb will conduct science observations. 
The remainder will be used at Webb's final orbit around the stable Lagrange point for station keeping and to maintain its orbits. So every kilogram of fuel saved on Webb's journey to the Lagrange point could be used to extend its life there. Because 10 years seemed like a fairly short operational period for such an expensive and capable space telescope, NASA had already begun contemplating a costly and risky robotic refueling mission. But now, that should not be necessary, as Webb has at least two decades of life. End quote. Ours goes on to further explain that a big part of this fuel saving is thanks to the European Space Agency's Ariane 5 rocket that was used to launch the telescope last month. Because each Ariane 5 rocket is interchangeable, they were able to select which parts would best suit the telescope launch, and all of that detailed and grueling work really paid off. But what's next? Now we enter the calibration phase. Even though the JWST is expected to arrive at Lagrange Point 2 on January 23rd, several months of testing remain before the JWST will be ready to start snapping pics. Quoting Phil Plate over at Sci-Fi Wire's Bad Astronomy, While the 18 hexagonal mirrors are now in place, they aren't perfectly aligned. Like when you put new tires on a car, they can be mounted in place, but still need to be adjusted and balanced. So the next step is to very carefully align the 18 hexagonal mirror segments to act as one giant mirror. JWST will point to a bright star, and each mirror will reflect an image of that star. Each mirror has seven actuators on its backside, small motors with extremely fine control that can tip and tilt the mirror until it's placed as accurately as possible. That placement is indeed incredibly accurate. The motors can move the mirrors in steps of roughly one one-hundredth of a micron. For comparison, a human hair is 100 microns wide. 10,000 times larger. So the engineers on Earth need to figure out which star image they see is from which mirror and then adjust each of the 18 mirrors until the images are as sharp as possible and aligned in the same spot. End quote. So, yeah, it's gotta be incredibly precise, but the most nerve-wracking work is done, and if the web team was able to pull that off, it should be smooth sailing from here. As NASA Administrator Bill Nelson said over the weekend after the mirror fully unfolded, quote, Today, NASA achieved another engineering milestone decades in the making. While the journey is not complete, I joined the web team in breathing a little easier and imagining the future breakthroughs bound to inspire the world. End quote. Well, I finally took down all of my Christmas decorations last night, but if yours are still up and you've got a real Christmas tree you're trying to get rid of, maybe see if there are any alpaca farms near you that want it. Boyne Valley Alpaca Farm in northeastern Ireland loves getting recycled Christmas trees from friends and neighbors this time of year. Ellie Moonen from the farm told RTE that the trees have great nutritional value for the alpacas and that they serve as great scratching posts. The pine needles apparently have a lot of vitamins, help with worm control, and are a good source of roughage. They're also nice and prickly for the alpaca's soft fur. And it's not just alpacas, goats love them too. 
A number of farms from multiple countries over the years have reported joy at receiving Christmas trees for their animals this time of year. So if you are looking for a local farm to donate to, one word of warning though, make sure you call ahead because this idea does actually get pretty popular every few years and sometimes farms are inundated with too many Christmas tree donations. But of course, if you are not going to take it to a goat or alpaca farm, look up the best way to dispose of the tree in your area. A lot of towns have specific days you're supposed to set it out on the curb, and many hardware shops run composting and chipping drives this time of year. Here in New York City, the Department of Sanitation has branded the recycling process as mulch fest. You can take your tree to a designated site where it'll be put through a wood chipper, used as mulch around the city, and you also get to take home a small bag of wood chips from your own tree as a souvenir. Not quite as fun as feeding it to an alpaca, but still better than nothing. Well, here's one for all of the Hot Ones fans. Arby's has a new sandwich out called the Diablo Dare, consisting of ghost pepper jack cheese, fire-roasted jalapenos, fiery hot seasoning, and Diablo barbecue sauce. Arby's says that it is their attempt to make an actually spicy sandwich compared to all other fast food chains' claims of spicy falling short. Available in either fried chicken or smoked brisket, the Diablo Dare is allegedly so spicy spicy that it comes with a free milkshake to calm your scorched taste buds. It'll be at Arby's restaurants across the U.S. from today through February 6th. And speaking of fast food, today is the start of National Pizza Week, which is really just an excuse for pizza companies to run various promotions. Hit up the Thrillist link in the show notes for a full roundup of U.S. chains running promotions. A few of them are highlighting products like gluten-free pies and plant-based pepperoni. This article is also how I learned that Pasquale's Pizza and Wings, Chuck E. Cheese's Ghost Kitchen, is apparently still kicking. You can get a free cheese pizza with any specialty pizza order from them this whole week for the holiday. And if you just did an auditory double-take at the phrase Chuck E. Cheese's Ghost Kitchen, I will direct you to an early episode of this show in which I dug into the pandemic-driven development of Pasquale's Pizza and Wings, as well as the deep lore behind Chuck, Pasquale, and the rest of Munch's make-believe band. It actually starts out kind of dark, but through the power of Pong, open mic nights, and birthday party magic, Chuck Entertainment Cheese finds his groove, and the rest is history. Link to that old episode for more is in the show notes, but that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.